Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Mike Hansen, and we've got the continuing case of aggressive central banks to talk about. Uh, that's obviously where we lead. Uh, and I guess I'll just start by saying, Mike, on one level, the DM central banks at least did not deliver material upside surprises this week, but we still come out of the week feeling uh, there's a lot of hawkishness that's in the pipeline. And we actually did revise upward our year-end 22 uh, forecast for the Fed, the Bank of England, and for the ECB. So we're clearly still on the move here, clearly still moving hawkishly. Um, so let's just start with why, and before we get to the issue of when will they stop, but let's let's just start with the why of this. Well, I, there's basically two reasons. One is that they were a bit late to start, so they're still catching up. But the other important part of the catch-up is the economies aren't really slowing, particularly labor markets. Um, and inflation still is remaining, generally speaking, on the high side. So uh, they're not getting a lot of traction just yet. Monetary policy works with long and variable lags, so you know, over time, you should expect economies to slow down, and that's obviously what they're looking for. Um, but the calibration of that, I think, is going to be tricky. Uh, and as right now, central banks are still in a position where they, they look like they're behind the curve by a, a number of dimensions. And so I think that's keeping the pressure on them. I think, you know, this issue of around um, traction, this issue around what they're trying to achieve, got an interesting uh, spin this week from the Fed, because it certainly feels like the Fed is now putting a rise in the unemployment rate is a central part of what they need to achieve. Um, do you think that makes sense that the way you get this story done is through a rise in the unemployment rate? And do you think the Fed's target, or not target, but forecast that we can basically get inflation down gradually if we can get the unemployment rate close to four and a half percent? What do you think about that? Well, there's kind of two parts of that question. I think they go in opposite directions. I think the, the the Fed has finally, I think, come around to the idea that they can't simply hope and pray that inflation is going to come down. That's going to do most of the work for them, that they actually do have to. I mean, Powell was pretty explicit. There's going to be pain. He said it multiple times, right? The Fed is going to have to bring growth down below potential for a while, as Powell said, and they're going to have to bring the unemployment rate up. But the flip side of that is you can make an argument that the forecasts they have, you know, the projections that are in the dot plots, uh, in turn, or the SEP, excuse me, in terms of the amount of an increase in unemployment or slowing in growth is not really consistent with the degree of disinflation that they're either predicting or need to have happen, right? So there, I think there's some tensions there. Yeah, I think that's important to, to recognize that if you actually think you're going to do much of your work through a uh, rise in the unemployment rate, um, you know, it's hard to see uh, a three quarters of a percent rise delivering that at least over a reasonable rise. And then that feeds back into the other issue, which is how much patience do you have with it? Uh, and if you don't have the patience, because not only does it take time for uh, easier labor markets to take pressure off inflation, but it takes time for tighter monetary policy to start to ease labor market conditions. Are you going to overdo it? And by the time you actually get the results in labor markets and inflation that you expect, you've already you know, laid waste to the economy. Um, you know, it does feel like the Fed is somewhat impatient here as well, you know, that they're they're feeling because they may have to deal with a, a salience issue that's starting to affect psychology that they have to get a lot in early um, and that they need to see the results. And I think that as much as the focus on the labor market is, um, you know, a, a real question mark as to whether you can manage this without actually throwing the economy into reverse uh, sometime next year. 
so that's the you know the Fed story. Um, I think the other interesting part of the story is uh, well, there's many interesting parts of the story, but let's let's first go to Europe, where I think one thing that's happening here is we're getting more fiscal support from the um, UK, uh, and we're actually feeling a little bit better here about uh, the natural gas price story in the in the uh, European space. But obviously, that does both of those those. Uh, uh, ideas do feed more central bank tightening in the forecast. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're rather different stories right now on the fiscal front. I mean, what's happening in the UK is quite aggressive, and you saw a really sharp market reaction to it. The markets are obviously very concerned about kind of longer-run sustainability issues, given the pretty aggressive, unfunded fiscal support the UK is offering. That is inflationary, or at least the concern is it's going to be inflationary. It's certainly designed to try to mute the reduction in you know, the hit to consumers and, and to demand more generally. And so that puts more pressure on, on the BOE. Uh, there is even some talk of the BOE having to do an intermeeting move at this point, right? So it's clearly putting pressure on the BOE. We, we're now looking for 75 at the next meeting, whatever that might be. Um, the euro area, on the other hand, there's some hope for some maybe modest fiscal support. I don't think that's the main story. The main story really is that uh, the natural gas shock looks like it may not be quite as bad on a forward basis as we had feared it could be, right? So you've got a lot more uh, stockpiling built more quickly than was expected. You've obviously seen prices come off a little bit. The, our commodity team reset a little bit lower, uh, the expectation for natural gas prices going forward for the region. Um, and so those things are contributing to the idea that while we're still likely to have a recession, we still have a recession in our forecast, it may be slightly less deep than we had thought. Um, and that is in, in combination with a number of ECB officials rethinking just where neutral might actually be. You've seen a lot more talk about maybe it's at 2% rather than 1% is the combination of those two things has led us to, to up the number of hikes we're going to get from the, or the amount of hikes we're going to get from the ECB at the end of the year. Now let's also turn to the Bank of Japan where um, uh, you have an interesting story, which is a very different nature where yes. the DOJ maintained all of its, um, uh, you know, levers of ease at the last yep. meeting. And in fact, Corona, if anything, was... was Triple was down, right? Three years. <laughs> he, he remained very dovish. And then, of course, as that began to put downward pressure on the end, you got the MOF come in and, and hit us with some intervention. Uh, so, you know, this is really an interesting story of tension. Tension, uh, perhaps, between the BOJ and the economy or even the markets and tension between the BOJ and the MOF at this point. So where does right. that take us? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, in the very near term, the easy Bank of Japan policy is an important part of the fundamentals that are driving the currency weaker. And it's going to be very difficult, it seems, in the, at least in the near term, for uh, unilateral intervention by Japan to materially move the currency that much. I mean, they're, they're just, you know, they're swimming upstream in this one. Um, it's an interesting question about what it means about the nature of BOJ policy once Kuroda leaves early next year, uh, what direction that might take, and whether there's, this is some signal about you know, what the government thinks is appropriate policy stance going forward. I think it's very hard to disentangle those, but it does raise some interesting questions about whether uh, Kuroda's guidance of two to three years of continued forward guidance is going to be relevant in six months' time. Yeah, I think that's the way the MOF can actually have some leverage is by trying to signal that future monetary policy is going to be different. It's hard for, for them to do more than perhaps just create some two-sided risk in terms of the near-term 
market dynamic in in FX. Um, but I think in in some basic sense, um, you have Kuroda's time being limited, but you also have the tension happening because uh, in order to um, uh, continue YCC, uh, markets are becoming far less liquid. There's a more difficult time uh, with managing that from the BOJ's point of view. And and I think the more fundamental question is, what's the right length of time to continue uh, with the uh, falling yen and the um, rising inflation pressure. I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that Japan is starting with such a hole that you want to overdo it in terms of getting uh, the shift take place. Um, but I guess part of it, which I don't have a good uh, level of comfort with, is why keep uh, going with the YCC? Why keep going with the asset purchases? You know, I think you can separate an adjustment there uh, from the uh, rate structure and the commitment to to reflating uh, without creating a taper tantrum, so to speak. Um, and and also, of course, you create more distortions and, and potentially more difficult adjustments if you exit later on. So I think that part of it feels to me under more pressure, uh, at least in the in the in the context of what might happen over the next uh, uh, three months or so. Um, let, coming back to the U.S., um, you know, one of the interesting questions is what the economy is actually doing. Uh, we've got some data next week. Uh, we've seen housing come under pressure in the data this week. Um, how should we think about what the U.S. economy is doing in the third quarter um, and, and thinking about its path more generally? Well, I mean, we have the economy growing a bit below potential. And now that we've added in some more Fed rate hikes in the last you know, week or two, given all the news, we are expecting that we're going to see somewhat more sluggish growth on a forward basis, right? So you get to the end of next year, we've taken another quarter percent or so off of our uh, Q4, Q4 GDP forecast and below 1% now for uh, the end of next year. Uh, but in the near term, uh, in terms of the data coming up for next week, I think that the big focus is going to be on the inflation numbers, because obviously that's an important piece for what's going on with the Fed. We do get core PCE. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're looking for, I'm trying to remember what the number was. 0.47 on a month-on-month basis. Okay, so five-tenths on a month-on-month basis. I know that it was 4.7 OIA. I was trying to remember what the month-on-month was. So basically five-tenths. 0.47. So, well, that's the, but the, but the annual rate is 4.7. I know, that gets confusing. Oh, you can get mixed <laughs> up there. So but, uh, they're yeah. still elevated. The Fed has us ending the year at, at four or five. I think our forecast thinks that that's a little bit uh, high. So it'll be interesting to see whether these numbers give any uh, uh, hope for the idea that maybe there's a faster disinflation coming around, which is what our forecast has embedded in vis-a-vis the Fed. I, mean, I think the other thing to note about the PCE report is that we're not looking for consumption to be responding to the fall in headline inflation yet it might it might do so but it certainly doesn't feel like we're getting that lift as we move through the third quarter and i think more generally we do think after having been a real hero in the first half of the year in terms of lowering saving rates to cushion the blow of higher inflation and loss of transfer uh income that the household sector is going to take a little bit of a breather here that's a key call because that does facilitate uh the sluggish growth slowing in the labor market that we need yeah. to get the fed to uh, to be a little more balanced in terms of how it thinks about the the rate path here. Um, that's your upside to a downside, which, as you noted a few minutes ago, uh, you have the dollar rise, you have the interest rate rise, you have the further Fed tightening, all kind of uh, working through the system. 
Um, but I think we'll leave it there. Uh, there's uh, obviously a lot to talk about um, in terms of data that's coming. I would note we did have uh, the flash PMIs. The U.S. came back after being quite low relative to the other uh, uh, domestic surveys, and the euro area took another modest step down. Um, so that European descent towards contraction does seem to be tracking. But we'll leave it there and um, hope that we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you very much.